You're listening to an analysis story on the audio version of The TIE. Thanks for listening. The TIE is a nonprofit newsroom that is funded by our audience. So if you appreciate this article and you'd like to help us do more, head on over to support.thetie.ca and become a TIE builder. You choose the amount to give, and you can cancel anytime. We built the technosphere. Now we must resist it. By Andrew Nikiforik, January 16, 2024. People will, today technology, and its material demands, have colonized every biological zone on Earth and shape virtually all human life. By definition, the technosphere represents an artificial, and parasitic, offshoot of the much-abused biosphere. It includes glass, concrete, asphalt and plastic, roaring furnaces, and humming digital paraphernalia. It includes motors, missiles, the internet and all the energy humans wrangle, to power them. AI has already penetrated just about every economic activity. Yet few people and even fewer leaders recognize where we've arrived. Technosphere residents, servants or inmates, you can pick the appropriate noun, remain largely blind to its size and intent. Many people spend more time living in the technosphere than they do in the real world. They can identify the virtual characters of video games but cannot name the trees or birds outside their windows. The average U.S. teenager spends nearly eight hours on screens, floating like internet astronauts steered by algorithms. Their French counterparts have owned, on average, five mobile phones by the age of 18. Peter Half, a U.S. geoscientist at Duke University, has written extensively about the technosphere and its powers. In a fascinating 2013 paper, he broadly defines this machine-mediated universe as an interlinked system of communication transportation and administrative technologies that mines, metabolizes and consumes fossil fuels and any other energy sources it can draw upon. With every ton of fossil fuels the technosphere consumes, it extracts another six tons of material stuff including sand, metal, rock, wood and stone. On land the technosphere, writes half, transports large quantities of solids further and faster than any natural process except sediment transport by rivers. As such the technosphere possesses its own metabolism, continuously appropriating resources, like some Napoleonic army. Its freshwater demands alone divert the equivalent of a Mediterranean sea every year. The endless transformation of Earth wrought by the technosphere is, in half's words, an emerging geological process that has entrained humans as essential components that support its dynamics. The word component is instructive. If a citizen or component doesn't serve the technosphere, then they may well find themselves discarded or, as half explains, slated for repair. A few individuals may occasionally withdraw from the technosphere voluntarily to become hermits, or fail to work in its support because of mental or physical incapacity. From the point of view of the technosphere the latter are broken parts, and are in effect discarded from the system unless they can be repaired, i.e. made serviceable again. As half notes, glimmers of the old world can still be found in a few scrubby hinterlands, but no refugia really exist. In subduing the last vestiges of mass resistance to assimilation, the technosphere seems to be approaching, as if towards a mathematical limit, domination of 100% of the world's people he writes. The biosphere pays a brutal price for technological progress by being cannibalized, fragmented, mined, deforested, and polluted. And so do we.
The technosphere spews waste including pesticides, rock tailings, nitrogen, plastic, electronic gadgets, forever chemicals, and volcanoes of carbon dioxide. It consumes and purges like wealthy Roman aristocrats at dinner. Half notes that the technosphere is a poor recycler of all the resources it appropriates. That is a vast understatement. In 1900, the mass of human civilization equaled about 3% of global biomass. Today the weight of the technosphere's manufactured abundance exceeds that of all living things on the planet. In 2020, a group of Israeli researchers calculated the mass of all living things in the biosphere to be 1.12 trillion tons. But in that same year, the weight of the concrete, asphalt, glass, vehicles, and plastic that make up the technosphere surpassed the living world. It clocked in at 1.15 trillion tons. The planet's animals collectively weigh approximately 4 gigatons, but plastics now total 8 gigatons. Buildings and infrastructure, including roads, represent a larger mass than all of the world's trees and shrubs. If megacities continue to expand and human societies consume more and more finite stuff, the mass of the technosphere, including its leviathan waste stream, will exceed 3 teratons by 2040. That is almost triple the dry biomass on Earth. There's now enough concrete on the planet to produce a 2 mm thick, full-scale replica of Earth, and enough plastic to completely wrap that replica in cling film, wrote natural scientists Gabriel Hecht and Pamela Gupta six years ago. At different times thinkers have called the expanding technosphere by various names. In the 1930s urbanist Lewis Mumford talked about the rise of the megamachine and considered it a death force while novelist Aldous Huxley called it the brave new world. Social critic Neil Postman called it Technopoly in 1992, and ecologist Nate Hoggins refers to the superorganism. A group of modern geologists speak of the Anthropocene or the Age of Sapiens. The most perceptive and prophetic of these critics was Jacques Ellul. In the 1950s, just as the technosphere was accelerating as a global geological force, Ellul wrote The Technological Society. He warned that technology and its cult would homogenize all cultures, neuter faith, centralize power, dominate all economic and political affairs, and replace natural landscapes with artificial, sterile environments. Alul predicted that there could be only one solution to every problem in a technological society, the application of more technique in the name of efficiency. And that the rising cult of efficiency would banish ideals such as beauty, truth and virtue. Every innovation, of course, comes with a raft of unintended effects. Alul warned that if technology kept growing, then disorder will keep growing and the more disorder increases, the greater our fundamental danger. The disorder and danger facing the biosphere and we who depend upon it are, as Alul predicted, fundamental. In what scientists call the sixth mass extinction, plants and animals are dying due to the appropriation of habitats and water by the technosphere and its 8 billion human components. Scientists estimate that at least 1 million species of plants and animals face extinction in the coming decades. About half of the departed will be insects. Vertebrate populations have already decreased by 60% since 1970. The technosphere has similarly assaulted and changed humanity, fragmenting our thinking and killing attention spans. Social media has eroded democracies and polarized political debate. 
As humans increasingly talk more and more to machines, social epidemics of anxiety and loneliness worsen. Yet the techno-optimists claim that an app will soon appear to address these challenges of escalating alienation. For to date the technosphere has far more advocates than critics. The boosterism preached by the digeretai and political class is amplified by complicit media, which rarely acknowledge there should be limits to growth and therefore our own consumptive behaviors. Techno-optimists champion constant disruption, dream of melding with machines, and even seek to defeat death. They want us to consider robots our friends. And they swear more technology will solve the wounds of previous technological assaults. A recent Silicon Valley manifesto reads like a religious exaltation. Technology is the glory of human ambition and achievement, it says, the spearhead of progress, and the realization of our potential. Adding, combine technology and markets and you get, the techno-capital machine, the engine of perpetual material creation, growth, and abundance. Some dream of having it all in a different sense. A mature technosphere, say some thinkers, in the future will have co-evolved with the biosphere into a form that allows both the technosphere and the biosphere to thrive. Kevin Kelly, co-founder of Wired, uses the word technium when he speaks of the technosphere, urging its embrace. Because the technosphere requires constant data collecting, we shouldn't fear constant surveillance and monitoring by connected machines, argues Kelly. He considers it our destiny. Technology is a means of producing new problems. It's a means of producing new solutions, but the fact that we have a choice between those two is what tips the balance very, very slightly in the favor of the good for the long term. Such discussions imply we can collectively choose our relationship with the technosphere and shut down the parts that don't seem to be working well for us. But that ship has long sailed. Humans collectively have no choice but to keep the technosphere operative, because it is now indispensable to our collective existence, notes British geologist Jan Zalasiewicz. What of the technosphere's promise to the person trapped within it yet aware that its pollution stream threatens human civilization? The techno-optimists make it seem defeatist to doubt that green technologies including electric cars, solar panels, direct air capture and geoengineering the atmosphere will stave off the catastrophe. Undercutting this promise of maintaining the technosphere using renewable energy is a dynamic called the Jevons paradox. Whenever the technosphere makes a product or a form of energy more efficient, the change results in heightened consumption. LED lights were a model of efficiency, 90% better than the incandescent bulb, but as their use explodes, the net energy savings recede. The technosphere reasons we need not worry, more lighting everywhere all the time and its glaring consequences has immense economic value. As we have seen, the technosphere, relentlessly hungry for energy, is manifestly immune to taming. So it's important to not confuse the technosphere, which is increasingly the product of machines talking to machines, with a mechanism directly under the control of humans. In a sense, the technosphere has a will of its own, having entrained humans to pursue its own imperatives, as Half explains. Trying to fix the climate problem by turning to renewables may therefore not lead where it seems, Half writes. This will be the case if opportunities offered by renewables appear different to the technosphere than to humans. Whatever the future of particular renewable energy sources, Half adds, 
the driving forces are already in place for transition to rates of energy consumption that are larger than, and perhaps much larger than, the current power level of fossil fuel use. The U.S. environmental sociologist Richard York has already documented this trend. Evidence from energy production trends suggests that as renewable energy sources compose a larger share of overall energy production, they are not replacing fossil fuels, but are rather expanding the overall amount of energy that is produced. Global oil demand surged to record highs in 2023, as did per capita electrical consumption. Global energy consumption from all sources continues to grow by 1 or 2% a year. None of this bodes well for those who see that the only true path away from climate catastrophe is to somehow transition humanity to degrowth economies that consume far less energy and stuff. To do so starts with championing a radical heresy, shrinking the physical presence of the technosphere. Truly, this would require a revolutionary awakening to our predicament, given that the technosphere has colonized every aspect of our lives as totally as Hernán Cortés's siege and brutal conquest of the city of Tenochtitlan. We are all Aztecs now, but they, at least, decried the scale of their submission to alien forces. We have rarely done so. What course of action, then, is left to any one person? Jacques Ellul, a man who loved life, offered three choices. He wrote in 1989 that people can accept technology as our determined fate, bear witness to its transgressions, or resist its dominance in every human affair. Only the last two paths, he wrote, offer promise, hope and, finally, liberation. And if we are to achieve any exit from this terrible swamp of ours, he said, above all things we must avoid the mistake of thinking that we are free. First we must acknowledge our confinement in the technosphere. Then, seeing the hydra head of trickery and the gorgon face of high-tech, the only thing we can do is set them at a critical distance, for it is by being able to criticize that we show our freedom. Neil Postman took Alul's advice to heart, recommending steady and persistent resistance. A resistance fighter, wrote Postman, understands that technology must never be accepted as part of the natural order of things, that every technology, from an IQ test to an automobile to a television set to a computer, is a product of a particular economic and political context and carries with it a program, an agenda and a philosophy that may or may not be life-enhancing and that therefore require scrutiny, criticism and control. Postman prescribed rules for resistance. First and foremost, a critic of the technosphere and its demands refuses to accept efficiency as the preeminent goal of human relations. Do not confuse data for knowledge or regard the aged as irrelevant. Nor should one disparage great religious narratives. They deserve to be taken seriously because they challenge the idolatry of technology in all human affairs, wrote Postman. Lastly, a resistance fighter understands that technology must never be accepted as part of the natural order of things. Human communities, not machines or markets, should control what tools are adopted or rejected. In other words, resistance conserves what matters, the biosphere. Read more, Science Plus Tech, Environment. Thanks for stopping by the TAI today. Anytime you're in the mood to listen to important stories written well, we'll be here. And if you'd like to keep independent media going strong, head over to the tai.ca and click on the support us button to pitch in. Finally, big, big thank you to all of our Tai builders who made this story possible.